0: Welcome back to the Get and Grit podcast. I am Brad Pohl, your host, and this is where we tell the stories of sinners and saints. I can't imagine someone in government, at least those who must deal with the very discourse of life, life beginning, life living, and life ending, abdicating the knowledge of when life begins. This seems more absurd than the rancher who cannot answer the New Yorker's question about What are cows used for? Human sacrifices to the pagan gods have been around for a long time. Society today has a hard time admitting its presence still exists. So to make this sound more plausible in our present culture, it is just easier to say when asked, when does life begin, to simply respond, I don't know. Academics from institutions across the globe now suggests that Carthaginian parents ritually sacrificed babies as an offering to their gods. The city-state of ancient Carthage operated from about 800 B.C. to, I think, 146 B.C. It was a long time ago. But an Oxford Review states, the Greek and Roman accounts of these sacrificial events held sway up until about the 1970s, when academics began to dismiss the theory as simply anti-Carthaginian propaganda. These academics even called it racist propaganda by the Greeks and Romans. Interesting timeline, given that the academics began their support of Roe v. Wade in the 1970s as well. Children, newborns, both male and female, were sacrificed by the Carthaginians. Dedications from the children's parents to the gods were inscribed on slabs of stone above their cremated remains— These dedications always ended with the explanation that the gods heard my voice and blessed me. It is hard, is it not, to imagine how the death of a child could count as an answer to a prayer? Science tells us. Now, of course, I'm not saying that a woman doesn't know enough about her own body when the changes due to pregnancy begin. But science tells us that when the egg and the sperm collide, it's like the trigger of a starter's gun is pulled and the race begins. A zygote is formed, and the cells start splitting. And life begins at this point. I learned this back in a sophomore biology class in 1971. My high school teacher looked at all of us boys pointing his finger at us saying, you boys pay close attention because you can't put that bullet back in the gun. Hertwig and Foll observed the penetration of eggs by sperm cells clear back in the late 1870s Therefore, discerning, life begins at conception. Life beginning at conception is not a late 20th century idea. Fetal development typically follows a predictable course. In the first week of conception, the sperm and the egg unite forming a one-celled entity called a zygote, previously mentioned. The zygote typically has 46 chromosomes, 23 from the mother and 23 from the father. In the second week after conception, the rapidly dividing ball of cells, now known as a blastocyst, burrows into the uterine lining, known as implantation. In the third week after conception, the production of hormones increases. In the fourth week after conception, the baby's brain, spinal cord, heart, and other internal organs begin development, along with the eyes, ears, and arms. In the fifth week after conception, the baby's nostrils become visible, and the retinas in the eyes begin to form, as do the legs. The heartbeat is now present. In the sixth week after conception, the hands and fingers begin to form. The upper lip and the nose have now formed. And in the seventh week after conception, toes are visible, and the eyelids form. By the eighth week after conception, the baby can now bend his or her elbows, fingers, and toes. In the ninth week after conception, the baby's genitals develop. And in ten weeks after conception, the baby has fingernails. I only outline this well-known process, which the ultrasound machine has so clearly validated, to make a simple point. I am a P.E. major who graduated with honors, cum laude to be exact. And although this dubious honor allows me to work at P.E., or in layman's terms, practically everything, it does not qualify me for the Supreme Court. A simple work study of the readily available subject matter will give you an answer to when life begins beyond the popular answer of, I don't know. The greater question is, when is it perceived by women and men that this zygote, which signals the beginning of a baby's human life, deserves the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Did I misquote this? Didn't our founding fathers say that all men of course, they were speaking in the plural, as one would speak about a collective nation, are created with equal and certain inalienable rights. This plurality then would include all of human life, if it included any human life at all, from natural beginning to natural end. Then there is this other matter, and we call it convenience, because convenience is something altogether different, because convenience eliminates hardships, We even have stores we call convenience stores, and we can get to them fast, right? They have short lines, if any at all, because we hate waiting in lines. We have things to do, a life to live. We can't let long lines and babies get in our way. They can cause hardships and be so inconvenient. It becomes more convenient to sacrifice the inconvenient baby so women and men won't be inconvenienced. Dismissing abortion as just a woman's choice stops us from seeing the bigger picture, which is the choosing to sacrifice another's life so that my life may be more convenient. I too have made choices in life to benefit me at the expense of others. Nothing to the extent of abortion, but still sacrificing others for my own convenience. When I put myself first at another's expense, regardless of degree, am I not also just as guilty? You cannot claim Catholicism and justify the sacrifice of the innocent, no matter how high of a position you hold. It is inconsistent with the faith and with God. Just because you go to Mass regularly or have birthed a large family doesn't change it. It's sin, plain and simple. To claim otherwise would cause a man to soil his drawers in front of the Pope. God writes, you shall not murder. Fortunately, St. Thomas writes in his first letter, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Apart from the cross, there is no other ladder by which we may get to heaven wrote St. Rose of Lima. Ain't it so? This is Getting Grit, signing off. Blessings to you all. Dominus Bobiscum.